Coming up, Scotland women's coach Peter Ross on ODI status and a look back on some extraordinary performances in the League and Cup, all on the Cricket Scotland podcast. Ball out there, give Hamilton any wits, he'll take you. Captain Catherine Bryce comes under it, she won't make any mistake, that's the first wicket for Scotland. Six to win and Richie Barrington has finished it with a six. And that's the win for Scotland, they've secured the Super over. Oh, must be out. Hello, it's great to have your company again. A slightly different lineup this week. Rosie isn't here today, but to step into her shoes, it's great to welcome Clara Sablitsky. Clara, hi, your first podcast experience. How are you doing? Hi, yeah, good. Thank you for having me. I'm well. I've been coaching all day, so yeah, feeling good. Good stuff. Well, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on. You're involved with Cricket Scotland, of course, in a number of ways, as well as playing in the Women's Premier League with Royal High Kostorfin. Tell us a little bit about that. So, yeah, I have two different roles at Cricket Scotland. I'm a bit greedy. One of them is a junior coach for the Wickets programme, uh, running tandem with the Lords Taverners. And then I'm also, for the summer, social media support officer for Cricket Scotland. And then um, for RHC, I am women's rep and one of the junior coaches. I coach all stars. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, with RHC a little later, but it is, as I say, great to have you on. And in a week where we have two big bits of news to digest as well, a little later, we'll be joined by Andrew Brock to chew over the first of them, Carl Kutzer's announcement that he stepped down from the national captaincy. But before that, it's our interview of the week, where women's head coach Peter Ross joined me to discuss the other, the ICC's decision to award ODI status to Scotland and just what that could mean for the side going forward. Welcome, Peter. Fantastic that we were able to find a time to chat. You are one of the busiest men in Scottish cricket at the moment. How are you just now? Very good. Thank you, Jake. It's great to be back on the podcast with you. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing OK. It's been a busy eight weeks. I, you know, we've tried all week to find a time to do this podcast, but it's nice to finally catch up with you. Oh, it certainly is. And I mean, it's fantastic to have you back involved at the heart of the national setup again. I mean, give us a sense as to what your week looked like. We talk about your busyness, but it's uh, it's truly busy. I'm split between a couple of different roles at the minute. Um, a lot of my time is obviously directed towards the national women's team. So I'm, I'm head coach of that for three days a week. I've got one day a week of working as head coach for the under-19s girls team. So essentially I've got f- four of my days of the week working up and down that female pathway, which is excellent. So I get to see everything that's going on and be really involved there. I've actually just stepped down from being director of cricket at Heriot's, um, which is you know, been running the whole program there. So ultimately, I was spread a bit too thin. Um, so that that decision I've just stepped down this week has been to enable me to give more time to the women's program to make sure I'm doing a good job. And then on top of that, I've got other bits of consultancy coaching here and there. So, you know, it's a busy old time. It's, it always happens in the summer. Like you, you, you spend all winter trying to plan your best and, and come up with a good idea of what your summer will look like. And then it always ends up being busier than it is. Well, I'm really pleased that we've got a chance to catch up and digest. What was the big news of last week? The ICC's announcement that Scotland is one of five associate sides to be awarded ODI status, giving Scotland the chance to play its first ODI since 2003. So what was your first reaction on hearing about it? Well, it's a great decision. I think what it shows is that 
there's opportunities for those kind of associate top associate initiatives moving forwards, and that's really exciting. I guess the question is what happens next. You know, it's great for us to get this status and have the opportunity to play it, but as you said, we've not played ODI cricket or even had ODI cricket on the on the program for a number of years, and it's just figuring out what that might actually look like in practical terms over the next couple of years. Just picking that apart a little bit, I mean, it is great news, isn't it, in that it reflects the status of the Scottish game, the recognition that we're we're very much pushing those top 10 teams to reach that that next level. But my thoughts as well immediately turned to what it would actually mean as well. Uh, I mean, as you say, Scotland's last List A match was in 2016. Last 50 over an international was in 2017. Catherine Bryce, who was appointed to the captaincy in 2018, has never actually captained Scotland in a 50 over international. I mean, it's a huge question. But for all that it looks on paper, what would you ideally like to see from the ICC as a, as a follow up to this announcement? I guess what, what I'd like to see and what is likely to happen might be two very different things. Ultimately, it would be fantastic if there's opportunities to play against those full member nations, the top-ranked associate teams as well, in regular um, ODI fixtures. Whether that happens or not, you know, I, I'm not sure whether there's the investment right now to do that. But in practical terms, what I'd like to see is just the opportunities for us to play bilateral series against or even quadrangular series against other nations and especially those bilateral series, that gives us a chance to play both ODIs and T20Is. So we can actually increase the bank of cricket that we play and spend more time on the park learning learning the game and improving our game in matches. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the fact that we have four other teams now that are in the same boat as, as us uh, will, will help. Um, you know, uh, you would hope as well that the, having the Netherlands and Ireland so close to us geographically is going to be a help too. Totally, and we have to make... Uh, as the most of the relationships we have with them but you know ultimately it's a trend, it's, it's great news we can get official ODI status we can get ranking points that will take us towards hopefully trying to qualify in both the T20 and 50 over World Cups so it, it gives us a really good viewpoint looking forwards of how can we make both qualifiers you know the last 50 over qualifier that we took part in was in the 2020 format you know and so actually it looks like the, the route to 50 over qualification is through 50 over cricket, which is fantastic and allows us to kind of spread ourselves across both sets of skills. We've talked a lot on the podcast with different guests over the years about just how uneven the metaphorical playing field is becoming with some form of contract system, for example, being found in all the teams ranked above us and a fair few below us too. I mean, we may be about to play the same song again, but we've talked a little bit about what we'd hope for, to see from the ICC. But what do you think we need to do as a cricketing nation to make the most of the opportunity that we potentially now have? So the, the contract discussion is always to be there. And I think, you know, the teams around us who are, well, more and more teams are becoming contracted. And most recently, you know, Ireland women beat South Africa women just yesterday. And that's an amazing result. But it, it shows what happens when you can start to provide opportunities and we've seen that across the board with women's cricket is when you invest in it and you give them opportunities the quality of the product and the whole showcase improves really quickly because they have more exposure and opportunity but I think you know cricket's going to have to figure out their vision and that's kind of the thing that's happening at the minute whilst the changes of staff there's a new CEO coming in it'll be interesting to hear what he or she thinks about the direction of women's cricket but Whilst I'm in this role, something I'll hope to try and push forward is how can we get more opportunities for female cricketers to actually have a career in the game without pushing them down into the county system or 
elsewhere around the world. It's really important that we have our best cricketers training and playing in Scotland. And if we can get to a point where they're trained playing up here, then great. Um, in the meantime, you know, until we get that, the players do a remarkable job of making the most of what they have and punching above the weight. My role is just to help find more opportunities to play. So can we play more bilateral series, quadrangular series? Can we just get more fixtures in so that we're trying to keep that gap between the non-contract teams and the contracted teams as small as possible? You know, in recent years with Ireland, we are a 50-50 split. We've won as many as we've lost, despite not having contracts in place. But what we what we want to avoid is a situation where that gap gets too big, where you know just we will be unable to compete. But for now, we're holding our own. But to move it forwards, I think it's something that will have to happen at some point in the next few years to keep keep pace. Yeah, I mean, there is so much potential as well underneath, isn't there? You know, we've got the under-19 qualifier coming up soon too. And just looking at some of the players that we have there that we see playing in the Women's Premier League in the Super Series last year, the performances they're putting in already this year, it's really exciting what we've what we've got in terms of potential, isn't it? Absolutely. And under-19s programme, you know, this is the first time that there's an under-19 female programme in Scotland and it's already started to show really good value. We played the MCC in two fixtures at the start of this past week and that was just a pleasure to watch on a, on a great facility at the Grange. You know, some of the, the best aspiring young players who have real potential. The key is just to provide them with that that actual opportunity at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's great to be playing all this age group cricket but actually what's what is the light at the end of the tunnel? How do we, do they see a career in sport? And how can we avoid players going through the pathway, getting to like 2021 20, and realising actually there's nothing there for them? So, you know, the 19th programme has been great. The Women's Premier League is continuing to showcase its value in the domestic calendar. But we've just got to keep moving it forward and keep providing opportunities to give these young and slightly older female players chances to keep improving. Yeah, absolutely. And talking of fixtures, a big part of last summer was the start of the Super Series, the reorganised regional competition featuring sides coached by yourself and Daniel Sutton. I mean, that was so good in the quality of cricket it produced as well, particularly in the batting, uh, which we then saw have its effect on the national side. I mean, what are you hoping for from this year's edition, especially with the T20 World Cup qualifier on the horizon? I'm looking for something very similar to last year. As you said, last year was a really exceptional set of games you know we had 10 t20 well yeah 10 t20 matches across five weekends and probably the biggest thing for me was maybe a change of mindset from the players and a a real investment in them to to be part of that competition but also what happens when they play on really great grounds you know we played on some wonderful pitches it allowed the players to to showcase their talents in the right way rather than sometimes in previous years you know I can think of having driven down to England and played on some county pitches that were not conducive to run scoring. It didn't develop your skills in the right way. Whereas last year, you know, we played at at Clydesdale and they were excellent. Harriet's had a good four for sure. Played, played at our both, you know, some really great places to showcase. So what I'm looking for is a chance to do the same, you know, have our players available and just to give the best against the best. So trying to match the two teams up evenly and give them the chance just to, as you say, leading up to that qualifier, give them a chance to compete against each other and play a really good, exciting brand of cricket. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a fabulous competition last year. It really was. And as you say, some real high-scoring games. I, I guess batting has always been the thing that's that's maybe let us down a little bit in the, in the past. Our bowling has always been really strong, but it's getting those big scores. And so much of that has to be or has to have been the quality of pitches that we were playing on, as, as you say. And, and to see what we can do on tracks like Clydesdale, like Harriet's and so on, was, was a real eye-opener. Yeah, absolutely. And it's two, multiple parts to, you know, playing on good surfaces. It allowed the players to have confidence in just playing their shots and, and trusting the skills that they have. But also it's a shift of mindset of, you know, rather than, oh, well, in yesteryear, the Bryces had to score the runs and they, they felt restricted to score because they maybe didn't have the, the, the backing of the players coming in. Whereas now what the Super Series allowed was those other players to say, well, look, I'm here and I can score runs and I can do the job too. So whether, you know, Catherine or Sarah doesn't score runs, I'll score them. And actually it gave those players the responsibility to stand up and say, you know, here I am, I can score you 50 or 35 balls. I can do it every like, every couple of games. You know that's that's what we wanted as players who were accountable and responsible to good performances. And that and the next step is just challenging the limits of what they think is possible. So if we're going to continue to try and push our our weight and beat those teams who are ranked above us, we're going to have to challenge ourselves and try and do some some stuff we haven't done before and take some risks to move the game forwards. And hopefully, that's what we'll see in the Super Series this year is the game continuing to move forwards. Yeah, very much looking forward to it. But finally, one thing before we let you go, uh, we haven't touched on is your own playing career. I mean, the last time I saw you last season, you were speeding around the boundary at Fort Hill, I think, on crutches. Uh, how are you now fitness-wise? So I've played a couple of games this year. Um, I've been limited in my playing time because the women's squad will train on a Saturday. So with the women's Premier League being on the Sunday, and I'm aware that I don't want to take them and make them use annual leave during the week for training times. Saturday becomes the most logical day. So I've played a couple of games. I'll try and play in some of the Masters and T20 stuff that's happening in Edinburgh. And then whenever we're not training with the squad, I'll play. But yeah, you know, last year I was very fortunate to be part of a very good Harriet's team. So I wasn't missed that much when I was a, was unfit for the rest of the season from June and August time. Um, but yeah, you know, I'll play when I can, but my priority is coaching. You know, I'm, I'm very busy with that at the minute. I'm keen to try and do my absolute best with the time that I have in my roles within Cricket Scotland. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at playing-wise. I don't feel I need to prove anything anymore. Yes, <laughs> Well, thank you again. I mean, it's been really great to catch up and we'll no doubt be speaking again, especially as that qualifier looms a little bit closer. Thanks again, Peter. It's brilliant, Jake. It's been a pleasure. Peter Ross. It is potentially a huge thing for the growth of the national side being on the ODI rankings and all, but it does depend on that next step, how it translates into the fixtures that will power that development, Clara. Yeah, for sure. I think right now, women's cricket is on the edge of being something like really good and really big. So it'll be really interesting to see how ODI status changes the women's game, obviously in Scotland, but also internationally as well. It will be interesting to see how Kevin Bryce leads the team for a 50-over match, which has obviously not happened before. So yeah, I think there's loads of room for growth and development. And it's incredible how young girls starting to play cricket now will have role models for 50-over games. No, you're absolutely right. And it is certainly a very positive step. And one we'll watch with interest over the next few months to see exactly how it's followed up. 
And another story we'll be reflecting on in a little more detail in the future is the big news from the weekend gone by that after 110 internationals as captain, Karl Kutzer has stepped down from his role with the national side. Andrew Brock is with us again. Andrew, it's hard to know where to start, but what was your immediate reaction to that news? Hi, Jake. Uh, I was shocked. I wasn't expecting it at all, especially given that he just scored 100 uh, a couple of days before. But I am really glad that he got to do it on his terms. Um, Kyle, for me, from the outside, first time I've heard of him was when I was when I was really young uh, and he was down south playing county cricket. And if you were playing county cricket back then as a Scottish player, you were pretty, pretty good. Um, and then for him to come back up here and lead his country, uh, not only as an absolute champion of the Scottish game, but also a huge role model for associate cricket and a massive champion for associate cricket. He has been nothing but fantastic for associate cricket. And I am delighted that he's been able to make this choice himself. Oh, yeah, I'd echo all of that. I mean, Carl hasn't retired, of course. There'll be plenty more to come from him with the bat and the ball, as we saw the other <laughs> night. But I agree. I mean, his role in, in steering Scotland through the last few years to where it is now, uh, leading by example, has been... It's been extraordinary. Uh, there's no other word for it. But it is the end of a chapter, not the story. Uh, and it is exciting to look forward to what's going to happen next with a new man at the helm. So on with today then and our roundup of the weekend's action. Some remarkable games to look back on and performances to add to the honours board too. Do check all the details on CS Live if you haven't already. Now, Clara, I'm really sorry to have to start with this, but you are on the wrong <laughs> end of one of them up at Manorfield. <laughs> Uh, a second century in successive games for Elsa Lister. Do you know what? Credit where credit's due. It was incredible to watch. I think she scored a ton in ooh, 12, 13, 14 overs. She was quick. Do you know what I mean? She was efficient. Um, you've got to give it to her. Like Our openers obviously tried their hardest, but bold pace that I think Elsa is obviously used to being on the Scotland side. Our other bowlers managed to bowl out their lower order because I think it was slightly more unconventional but yeah I think a couple of times the ball was just bowled perfectly in a slot and Elsa just levered it every single time to be honest but I, I I thought it was incredible to watch even though I was on the wrong the wrong team for that performance but yeah no she did incredibly well she is so destructive once she gets going isn't she I mean 47 ball 100 last week 46 balls this week. Uh, who knows what's uh, what's going to happen next week. Um, so another dominant performance from the Northern Lights. A better weekend for you, Brocky. A huge win for Watsonians at Falkland on the back of a great innings from Michael Carson. Yeah, it was, uh, I think I said last week, great to see Falkland back in the Premier Division and great to go back up there. The sun was out all day, uh, not a cloud in sight. And it was a glorious day up at Scroggy Park. Uh, Mike Carson... He's been out with injury for a few weeks for us, but he's been back for the past couple and uh, really important that he managed to get some runs under his belt and everyone in our top five has now contributed runs. So one thing we've been struggling with, but um, we're getting there, putting batting performances together and then to defend that total on a fast outfield flat deck really happy with the bowling performance so a win we needed uh but uh, a well-deserved win for us and staying in the eastern premier and the rest of the honors board liam naylor 
hit an unbeaten 144 for RHC as they extended their great start to the season at Carlton. While in the Cup, Dean Forrester and Kenny Reid scored 165 and 104 respectively as Aberdeenshire racked up 421 for seven at Fruki. Uh, Gregor Carr and Lachlan Hillis carved up RHC on Sunday with five fives for Watsonians after James Dickinson had done the same in the first innings, while Mike English hit an unbeaten 119 for air as they repeated their league result of the day before a bit more comfortably this time against Langside. And finally, for this little bit, Joe Colgan's 143, which kept West of Scotland in the game in their ultimately unsuccessful chase of Clydesdale's 305 for nine, was another for the honours board. But when we're looking at performances of the week, we have to talk about that incredible game at Fort Hill, first of all, which, Brocky, you had down as your too-close-to-call prediction last week. You looked like you called it spot on. Craig Wallace, 100, you said, and it duly came off 75 balls. Fourth's post, 315 for five, but then, crikey. Yeah, look, I got I got on the uh, CS Live app at halftime, checked the scores, and I thought, right, okay, I'm on here. This is good, good total. Fourth is not an easy place to, to defend because it's another place that is just flat and the outfield is rapid there. But what I didn't know last week was that Harris could have Michael Sheen playing and I would say I don't know if this is too big a shot but I reckon he is probably the best player in any of the leagues that hasn't got a cap yet and I know he's going down south next month and it'll be a big loss to club cricket up here but he is a phenomenal cricketer um, incredibly talented doesn't take it too seriously it's it, it's one of those annoying players that just makes it look a bit too easy Um when you've got someone like myself who's very scratchy and then you watch someone like Sheeny who just the way he bowls, the way he bats, the way he feels, it just looks so easy for him. Um, so a brilliant hundred in a chase for him. So he, he unfortunately ruined my prediction, but delighted for for him uh, as sort of a send-off before he goes down to London. Yeah, 118 not out. Uh, Herritz chased down that total 315 chase it down with an over to spare absolutely incredible performance so what do you have down as your performance of the week I was thinking it could have been Sheeny for his for his 100 but I'm going to go with Liam Naylor um, another successful chase uh, chasing chasing uh, 246 getting 144 not out to win the game at better, better than run a ball at uh, and he's 20 years old. Sky's the limit for that lad. That's um, that's pretty incredible. And uh, he is also a very, very nice young lad as well, which uh, which uh, we were quite delighted the next day because uh, we were playing against him the next day and he didn't get any runs. Uh, and so we were pretty delighted that that happened, uh, that he got all his runs out on Saturday rather than Sunday. But chasing a big total and getting a big hundred, that just shows that you're really, really good and You've not only got it technically, but mentally as well. So I'd say big things for Liam Naylor. He's my performance of the week. Yeah, one to watch for sure. And Clara, what is your performance of the week? Well, obviously I'm biased because I'm RHC forever. So I was going to say Liam as well, but I have to give Elsa performance of the week. She made it look so easy. And I was just like, I want about like her when I grow up, even though she's definitely younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> No, she was just properly, properly like class as a player to watch every single ball. She knew exactly what she was doing, exactly where it was going. <laughs> when she would hit the ball, she'd go 2-2, two, two, even though all of us knew it was going for four. <laughs> we would just watch it 
we're all over the road and she's like poo poo really pushing every single time so she didn't even um get cocky about it you know she just played as she would play normally and yeah absolutely battered us (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean as as we were saying before just another great talent isn't she I mean for me actually I I was thinking of of Maisie Messiera uh, who took six for 16 for Gala twos on Saturday and then three for 14 for Carlton in the women's premier on Sunday. But I'm going to the Western premier for mine. Could have been Kelvin's win over Fergus Lee at Meikle Riggs, their first of the season, and what a time to do it in the Paisley Derby. But I'm going for another superb chase and Clydesdale's win over Sterling. All the stats were against this. Now, Sterling on a bit of a roll, batting first, posted 252, a, a score that would usually be more than enough. Western Analyst on Twitter, and this is someone, if you're not following the analyst already, do so, because there are always loads of fascinating little facts to pick up. But uh, noted that batting first is always hugely advantageous at New William Field, with Clydesdale winning there in 2017 after posting 98. Uh, But this one was never in doubt after Craig Young got going. He went for 99 before uh, Fazal Jawad and Cas Farid brought it home. But it was a comfortable seven-wicket win with two and a half overs to spare in the end. I'm wondering what you're thinking about this, but the pink ball effect in all of this, are we having to totally rethink what constitutes a good score or a defendable total now, do you reckon? Yes, 100%. Totally agree. I think it's very difficult and it's it's even a bigger variance in the East because we've got, we put with two pink balls rather than one. So you the ball lasts for longer, but it does swing for longer as well. So there is a bit of a balance there. But what if you batted with a pink ball compared to a red ball, it flies off the bat. And the one thing I've noticed is a lot of edges that don't go to the slips goes over and past the slips as well. So there's a lot of I think people are a bit more um, keen to play their shots and a bit more proactive, seeing total chase down as well which is really interesting um so i think um yeah i think we do need to rethink i mean just personally from if we're looking at mar side i would have said right now mar side's a 250 pitch as a par score but with the pink ball i don't know you can look at 280 you can look at 300 and the weather's been so good as well the outfields are quick from what i've experienced pretty much everywhere i've played the outfield's been good yeah i think i think we need to completely rethink compared to compared to playing red ball cricket for sure yeah it's going to be really interesting come the end of the season isn't it to look back at the at the stats and par scores and and average scores and so on and and see exactly uh exactly how it's looking but that's week six of the men's league completed now uh what's been your impression of it so far it seems like anyone can beat anyone just now and um I think very much so in the East, even more so in the West. Whenever I look at the, the scores in the West, it just seems like anyone's got the opportunity to beat anyone. That's exactly where you want the league to be. You don't want one or two or three strong teams just running away with it. Um, I think we could get some interesting upsets going through the next few weeks. And then when we get to the final stages, I really think at least from one of the West or East, we're going to get a surprise for winning the league. I'm, I'm very sure. Yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree with that too. And it brings us very nicely uh, to our too close to call, but we're going to call it anyway, picks of the week. Clara, straight into the deep end. What are you going for from next week's card? I am going for Carlton women versus Gmail women. 
well, obviously, Stumal have won their last three games. Carlton have won their last two. And I think they're probably the most competitive teams at the moment, especially for this weekend. So, yeah, I think that'll be really exciting. And if I wasn't supposed to be playing, I'd probably go and watch. <laughs> and who are you picking for the win? Oh, that is a tough one. <laughs> we did lose to Stumal the other week and I, I am salty about it. Um, but we've got Carlton coming up, so I don't want to upset them. Uh, <laughs> I'm going Stumal. I'm going Stumal for the win, as much as it pains me to say. <laughs> and Andrew, how about you? Uh, I got from the East, Stumel again. Stumel are playing Falkland. I think two really interesting teams, two teams that have a lot of potential. And I think they're they're on their way to realising it. Just playing against Falkland last weekend, um, a couple people that stood out. There was uh, Charles Castle, who was opening the bowling as their overseas amateur. He's proper bowler. I don't. I think I faced him for about three overs. Don't think I got a run off him. Um, and he nicked off first ball. Um, so he must be pretty good. Um, and then the young captain Lyle um, Lyle Robertson. His bowling was was solid. But what I was really impressed with his batting. Um, scored a run of ball fifty against us and nearly took the game away from us. If he if he stuck around, um, then it could have been a really really tough. Uh, defense of that total and also just from a from a maturity point of view he's a, he's a young lad but he's captaining his side in the Premier Division and he's doing it doing it like he's uh, 10 years older than he is so I was really impressed with him and his attitude so for with Sumel um, they've now got their amateur and overseas over looks like Neil Tandell is a, is a proper bowler uh, who's, who's performing every single week and the other lad that I've always been um, impressed by was a guy I coached last year. Well, I didn't coach him, but I, I saw him at school cricket. Guy, a young lad called Joe Newman, um, seam bowler, who has real potential. Um, someone that I reckon the Curtis Scotland pathway could really get a hold of uh, as, a, as a real um, fast bowler. Um, so in terms of who's going to win... Um, I am going to go with my roots and go with Stumel. Well, I'm looking at Dumfries and West of Scotland in the Western Premier. Uh, fifth against third. Two teams who have had some great results this season. Both winners over Fergus Lee and Uddingston. So hard to call this one. Dumfries have lost three times, but two of those have been to Clydesdale and Prestwick. While West are on a real roll with four wins on the trot. Dumfries are at home and they're still unbeaten at home. But I fancy West to sneak this one and to keep that role going. Just the way they've been playing recently. Um, the manner of those wins over Air and then Fergus Lee. Uh, they're, looking, they're looking real contenders this year. Seems like a big weekend coming up for Stumal this week. I'm excited to see what happens. But that is it from us this week. Thank you, Jake, for having me. Bye-bye.